Gospel of St. Luke, they were full of joy and they returned to Jerusalem. And they returned to Jerusalem. In other words, this separation for them was not separation. This separation for them is really starting a new life. But in the book of Acts, after ascension, we find the following statement. All these with one accord devoted themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. That is community. That is the nucleus out of which the first primitive Christian church will be born. And this same group of the people, they were in the room. If you read the chapter 2 of the Gospel uh, Book of Acts, Book of Acts chapter 2 of the Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now, two things we have to gather together. Two things we have derived from this text. First of all, that this community was composed of men and women. And let us not forget it. First Christian community after with the Pentecost, after Ascension, is the community not of one gender, but male and female. Men and women. Mary was and many women were there because many women followed Jesus during his public ministry. And the second point, that Holy Spirit descended not only upon men, but also upon the women who are the member of this community. So let us, let us, the gifts of the Spirit are given to the whole church. And I think these few simple things that we can derive from the book of Acts will help us very much to understand the life of primitive Christian community, to understand the relationship between men and women, and uh, to see what is the... One of my lectures will be devoted to this ministry, to see in the right light what is the role of women in the primitive church and in the church of succeeding centuries and how we have to treat this problem today. Because today people absolutely raising questions, impossible questions that never raised in the first or second century uh, is the could woman become a priest? That, that, that question doesn't have any basis as we shall see in the New Testament. But the role of women in the church is extraordinarily important. Now, so, uh, Jesus, then the other disciples, disciples of our Lord, joined this community. Now, I would like to add one more thing here. Disciples who followed Jesus during his public ministry were not the only disciples who followed him. We have a other disciples who did not follow him on the road, but they stay at their homes. And how do we know it? I think we know it from the very text of the New Testament. 
Remember when our Lord came for, to celebrate Passover, last, last Passover that he celebrated in Jerusalem. He asked his disciples to go, gave them precisely information where to find one of his disciples who was going to prepare the room, upper room, where the Passover celebration was uh, being celebrated. And many people are wondering, how did he know it? How did he know it? When we know that according to the Gospel of St. Mark, he visited Jerusalem only once, and it was on that particular day. Now, Gospels contain a strange silences, and to enter into the silence of the Gospel and to understand the tenor of the Gospel help us very much to understand even this problem of the disciples. When you turn to the Gospel according to St. John, our Lord visited Jerusalem more than once, four times. According to the St. John's Gospel, he celebrated three times Passover in Jerusalem. So who is right? Both are right, without harmonization. Gospel according to St. Mark absolutely has in mind last events of our Lord in Jerusalem. And he put stress upon the Passover when he was taken prisoner and when he was crucified. And the Gospel according to Saint John, who was considered as a spiritual Gospel, not interested in historical events, he, he was details, which, which particular Passover he celebrated. So Gospel according to Saint John is absolutely give us historical survey of this Passover. And the Gospel according to Mark simply concentrate upon the one Passover. But the problem is simply this, that our Lord has more disciples than they appeared around him. He has disciples who stay at home. And in this respect, I would like to add that it is a much better, much better to avoid uh, talking about Jesus' movement as some modern people talking today, every day, in the, in the newspaper, in the, in the scholarly books. Jesus' movement, Jesus' movement. That Jesus' movement is definitely consequences of the modern pressure to conform Jesus to the modern guru. For instance, if you have a guru, so you follow a guru and that's it. If guru goes into the wilderness, you go with the guru in the wilderness. If guru lives place in United States or Europe, go to India, you go with the guru to India. Now, Jesus was not a guru. Many of his disciples stayed home. Some of them simply followed him. Now, uh, so church involved in that particular part. The second uh, point that I would like to make here, that the first Christian community was a kind of messianic eschatological group within Judaism. Now let me explain these terms. First Christian community was a messianic community because all the people who were around our Lord and who became the member of the first Christian community, they believed that Jesus is the Messiah, and the last events already occurred in his life. 
the last events, the kingdom of God is here. Let us believe in it and let us repent. And what happened now will happen, the same pattern will happen at the very end. The most important thing that Jesus is the last Adam. Now we used to speak about second, second Christ, first Christ, second Christ, first coming, second coming. But New Testament likes to speak about last. Jesus is not the second Adam. Jesus is the last Adam. And Greek term for it is eschatos. And that is the reason why we speak about awful term eschatology. It means things about teaching about the last things. Now, one thing should be indicated here, that all these early Christians being belonging to the messianic community of Jesus, believing in the resurrection of Jesus, believing that Jesus is Messiah, did not leave Judaism. They remained to be Jews. Many of them were observant Jews, as we shall see in the later period. Many of them were observant Jews. They used to go to the temple every hour on the hour for the prayer, and then come home and celebrate Eucharist in their houses. But never, and Judaism at that particular time was Judaism full of diversity. Imagine enormous umbrella, which we call Judaism. It is a Judaism up to 65, up to next period. Judaism in this period, 35, 30 to 35, and even later on, is the Judaism that acknowledged diversity. And they accepted this Jewish messianic group to stay under protection of the Judaism. You have a Sadducee, you have a Pharisee, you have a Essenes, you have a Zealots, and finally you have a messianic group that is Christians. And these Christians never thought, never thought to separate themselves from the Judaism. They wanted to renew Judaism. They wanted to transform Judaism. That is the reason why our Lord selected 12. 12 disciples represents 12 tribes of Israel. These 12 will be judges, last judgment, and they will judge all others. So they replaced the 12 tribes. They replaced 12 patriarchs. They are renewed Israel. And in the New Testament, we must be very honest when we speak about it, in the New Testament, you will never find the phrase New Israel, but you will find Christians are Israel of God. Christians are people of God. Christians are saints that God separated them from for his special purposes. Christians are elected people of God. Christians are those who are called. All characters that are all uh, characterization uh, that are given to the ancient Israel are now applied to Christians. So Christians are Israel. And then 
there are some good historical reasons why early church started to separate themselves from the Israel and started to call itself New Israel. But let us, for the time being, when we are talking about this primitive, particular primitive community, that they are for a new, new, renew Israel. Now, from the beginning, there is a tremendous amount of tension in this church. Tem tension comes out allegiance to the heritage, allegiance to the temple, allegiance to the law, allegiance to the land, and on the side, completely new Christian experience of resurrection. So although they, although they wanted to go to the temple, although they wanted to observe the law, there was a tremendous tension in their life. And that is a very quite obvious in the life of this particular church. Now, I, a second period, do you have any question probably here? Or, or you will leave question for the later on. Well, one thing I wanted to make remark at the very beginning, if you find that something is not understandable and uh, that you didn't follow, please raise your hand. I don't, I don't mind it at all. Now, second period is uh, 35 to 65, 70. This is a period of the St. Paul's activity. The man whom we know the most, the man best known to us from this period is St. Paul. There are some others, but St. Paul, particularly St. Paul, because St. Paul left documents for us. Thirteen letters in the New Testament are ascribed to him and we know him very well. We know what kind of person he was. We know what he was thinking, what he was thinking under pressure. We know about his method of founding new churches. We know how he nurtured these churches, how he kept care about them. We know more about St. Paul than about any man of this particular period. But this period has a big problem. And this period produced tremendous amount of conflict, conflict and tension and the diversity in the primitive church. And the conflict is simply this. What to do with the Gentiles? With the Gentiles. How to approach them? What to require from them? And how to treat them? Now, there was a not only one voice. There is not only one proposal. There are at least four. And now, first one, some Jewish Christians believed and demanded that Gentiles must, first of all, become Jews to become Christian. They must be circumcised. So, in other words, and this particular group, which is called Circumcision Party, played a very important role in the life of the church. And they had their own missionaries. They entered the Gentile world, 
and they ask for Gentiles to be converted to Christianity through obedience to the law, the circumcision and certain other things. Now, unfortunately, the leaders, the main important leaders of the primitive Christian community didn't agree with it. And they are Peter, Paul, and James. That is three outstanding men in the primitive church. All three rejected this particular proposal. They consider Gentiles should be accepted to Christian church without circumcision. For the Jews is fine. Nobody objected the Jew should be circumcised. But for a Gentile, they should not be circumcised. And this proposal is a main line of the proposal. Paul was very much for it. Peter was very much for it. And Peter also is the one who used to go among the Gentile world and the Jewish world. The third proposal, little bit mind of certain people of this second group change. What about food law? What about kosher food? What about, what are we allowed to eat meat offered to idols? And the James and some other people said, I think for the benefits of the peace of the church, we should impose food laws upon Gentiles. Uh, as you would expect, Paul was very much against it. James was for it, but Paul was against it. And we know from the letters of Paul that he didn't accept it. And that is the reason where two great apostles of the primitive Christianity came into conflict with one another. Peter and Paul were quarreling in Antioch. And let us look, let us look at the text from a very early epistle of St. Paul, which is called Galatians. In Galatians, Paul deals with this particular problem. And then in the chapter 2, in chapter 2, he's discussing what is being decided not to impose circumcision upon the Gentiles. But he comes to Antioch, and then he writes, and when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he ate with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself. Because the idea was, if you impose food laws, then Gentiles and the Jews, Christians, may come together to celebrate Eucharist. But if you don't have this imposition of the food laws, then possibility is this, the Gentiles will not be allowed to come to Eucharistic gatherings. Now, this is a big problem from the primitive church. And this is the problem that is very much on the mind of these leaders. And the question is, what would you do? It's a pastoral problem. 
any pastor that read this particular chapter raising the question and applying it to his own parish life. I think many people will say Paul was doctrinaire when he attacked Peter. And Peter was really a pastor who tried to accommodate a little bit to the new situation in the church. What would you say and how would you behave if some people from the Jerusalem came? Listen, Peter, in Jerusalem we heard that you are eating food uh, 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 with uh, eating Eucharist with the Gentiles and they are absolutely furious. They, they like to attack us. They like to separate us from the church and so on and so forth. We, we have a real problem in Jerusalem. You have to stop doing it. And P if Peter would say, okay, I stop, then he has to get bear responsibility for the people in, the, in, in the Jerusalem and their behavior. But Paul was absolutely right that the freedom of gospel is curtailed. If you impose food laws upon, upon Gentiles, then our freedom dealing with them is curtailed. And Paul, in the name of Christ and freedom, did not accept it. Now, the fourth group. The fourth group is uh, more interesting than any other. And that fourth group probably will be center of our attention in the succeeding chapters. They did not simply raise their voices against circumcision. They raised their voices against the temple and against the law. And they did it very early. They did it already at the end of the first period. They considered that Christians should separate themselves from the temple. And they are Jewish Christians. But they are Jewish Christians who spoke Greek only. Now, uh, in the last period, and then I will stop. On the last period, 65, 70 to 100, uh, we find that majority of the Christians in primitive church were Gentiles. <coughs> Up to 65, majority, great majority of the Christians were of Jewish origin were Jewish Christians. In the last period of the New Testament history, majority were Gentiles. In other words, you have an influx of Gentile world into the Christianity. And this is a period when we have the death of three greatest Christian leaders of the first century. Saint Paul and Saint Peter were executed in Rome around 64-65 and St. James was killed 62. So in other words you have a feeling a new era is coming. Old leadership, the most prominent leaders of the church, St. Peter, St. Paul, St. James are not with us anymore. And, uh, feeling is, what are we going to do now? And the next to this, you have a traumatic event that profoundly changed relationship between Christian and Jews. And that is the destruction of the temple. 
destruction of the temple occurred during the war, the Roman Roman Jewish War, 66 to 70, or 68 to 70. And at the end of this war, uh, Romans completely destroyed the temple. That was the most dreadful event, both for the Jews and for the Christians at that particular time. Destruction of the temple, and with destruction of the temple came decline of the influence of Jerusalem. So center of Christian activity now was moving from Jerusalem to somewhere else, and new centers appearing on the scene. In the previous period, you have Antioch in Jerusalem. In the second period, you have addition. You have a Rome. Power of the Rome is appearing on the scene, and Ephesus. Now, relationship between Jews and Christians worsened because Christians refused to help Jews in the war against Romans. Because the leaders of the Jewish revolt were zealots, and they really wanted to expel Romans from the Palestine, but at the same time, they brought disaster upon themselves, and the temple was destroyed. Christians refused to participate in this war, and Christians were obliged to leave Palestine and to go to Pella, that is beyond the Jordan. Now, in this particular time, Jews put the line about diversity and what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And uh, Jewish authorities forbid many contacts that were allowed before. Jewish authorities, in a certain sense, were suspicious even of the Greek language about the education of their children. But also, Jewish authorities started to expel so-called sectarians and heretics from their synagogues. And at the end of this period, around the 80s or 90s, the prayer in the Jewish synagogue was introduced. And this prayer runs, as for the upper state, let them be no hope. Blessed art thou, O Lord, who humbles the proud. So who are the apostates? Apostates are definitely Christians. And the expulsion, excommunication from the Christian from synagogue started. And uh, really, the limitation were being imposed upon Judaism at that particular time. Judaism was full of diversity before the destruction of the temple. After the destruction of the temple, there is reduction of this diversity. And those who did not agree with them, they are being expelled. So this is the period when the Jewish Christians were in great danger because they could not have protection of the Judaism and they wanted this protection because they wanted to this umbrella and now they are being exposed to the Roman authority and the harassment of Roman authority. 
So that is how we brought the history to the end. And I think we shall here make a break and, uh, and uh, 10 minutes let me stretching and then come back here. This lecture is continued on the next cassette.